listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. Tanil, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel. Our houses are always Airbnb ready, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Hey, Reggae, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thanks. Really good. Good What's to see that? you on the screen, Reggae, in our Loving the Snow Life podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, yeah. Where, Whereabouts uh, are you? Are you at Threadbow at the moment? Yeah, I'm in uh, my house in Threadbow. What's Perfect. the weather like? Uh, sunny, bit of cloud behind the mountain, but yeah, it was um, a bit warmer last night. I couldn't make snow, but uh, it's a beautiful day here in the mountains. I guess that's what you're known for is what the weather's like in the mountains. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've been for a long time. Dive right into it. Mountain watch, hey? You, you <laughs> are the founder. Pick your brain about mountain watch and a few things today, but how did you get into the snow industry? Uh, snow industry, long story, but basically I was in, um, I've always been in magazines, like I was editor of Trax magazine and I've been own Surfing World. And then when I was at Trax, I became the surf reporter on Triple J. Mm-hmm. And then I became the surf reporter on um, Triple M. And when I went to Triple M, they used to do snow reports and send their uh, surf reporter down to Threadbow for the season. And then I'd only been on the hill maybe three times in my life prior to that. And they sent me down here for the winter and to do snow reports. And then I do surf reports in summer and away we went, you know, so I'm still here. <laughs> An absolute dream job to many listening out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been good. And that's sort of just, it's pretty funny, you know, like, you know, as I said, I was all about surfing, working surf magazines. I've done surf commentary on all pro surfing events for the last 25 years. Um, but ended up down here and then, you know, when we had kids, my wife and I we opened businesses here and then ended up basing here rather than um, uh, Manly. We used to do, you know, winter in Threadbow, summer in Manly, and that sort of yep. became year-round, I think. How old was my daughter? Yeah, it must have been 15 years ago. Yeah, Threadbow is an all-round resort, so it's a good place to actually base it now and summer is getting more busier, do you find, down Threadbow? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot to do here in summer, you know, and um, the coast is only it's a two-and-a-half-hour drive you know I can pick the kids up from school in Ginnabine I can be paddling out of Tafra two hours and 10 minutes later so it's um it's pretty good like that you know so you do get a touch of the best of both worlds and um that's about the same time it takes me from ride to get to the beach yeah, there you go <laughs> well probably is isn't it yes <laughs> I have a more pleasant right drive <laughs> yeah oh gosh so you've got two shops have you are they your two businesses yeah, we got one here in Threadbow and one in Ginderbine. They're both um, Rip, Rip Curl flagship stores. Um, originally, we opened our first one in Threadbow in 2002, I think, yeah, yeah 2002, which is just a, a, that was in the Alpine Hotel where our current shop is. Um, but it was, a, it was a little multi-brand store called Chill Factor. And then in 2007, we did the Rip Curl store up here in Threadbow. And 2012, we opened the Rip Curl store in Gindy. So when you have a shop like a threat, a Rip Curl flagship, is that like a franchise, family-owned? No, no, we, no we own the shop. So we own the stores, own the business, and it's sort of like a lot. We, we're licensed to use the Rip Curl name, Rip Curl um, trademark and Rip Curl goods. So 
from their point of view, I mean, they, they contribute to the fit out initially and then, you know, it's just we run the business as Rick Curl stores, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. People wouldn't really know that they're family owned like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's only I think maybe half a dozen in Australia operated like that. Um, yeah, they got like over 2,000 stores worldwide. We were the first ones to have um, like a mountain store here in Australia. They've got mountain stores like in Chamonix, Verbier, Big White, Whistler, you know, I think they're yeah. in South America. So mm-hmm. we did the deal with them and the reason we did it was our that was our biggest selling brand when we were a multi-brand. So we thought that makes sense, you know. Yeah, yeah. They do some amazing clothes, Rip Curl, actually. A lot of the jackets. My kids were in the Rip Curl jackets for a long time when they were kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they make really high-quality mountain wear, so it's, it's, it works well. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, is it a different clientele, Threadboat or Gingy? Do you stock differently? Uh, no, we stock the same. It is fair to say it's a bit of a different clientele. Um, uh, you know, someone says to me we should double our price of our jackets, our top-end stuff here in Threadboat, just oh, to no. match what the clientele like to pay. Um, you know, because I can honestly say, like, out the top end jacket, which is 30,000 waterproof, 40,000 breathable, four way stretch, blah, blah. Yeah, it's probably equal to anything on the market, but it's half the price of uh, the comparable jacket with other brands. So that's a running joke. And then in Jindabyne, uh, Three Bay don't get many snowboarders, you know, like staying yeah. in the village. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a big thing. So Jindy's a bit of a wider demographic, I'd say, whereas here, Fredbow. Yeah, uh, Threadbow's reputation for its clientele is pretty well deserved in yeah, some ways, yeah. you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty well, yeah, yeah, pretty well. You know, and it, it's funny, it's sort of like, um, how do I say this? It's sort of like with inter-school sort of became, it sort of grew with that because you had all these kids doing snow sports for their schools. Yeah. Um, but many of the parents had never worked skiers or snowboarders, you know, so all of a sudden the kids are down here for these, you know, massive events, you know, and then you go, the parents basically can't ski off the, the groomers on the super trail. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's like that, you know, like, yeah, so. Mm. Yeah. Good yeah, place right. for a shop then. Good place for a shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they're both good places for a shop. You know, I think um, we just get, you know, our Ginderbine store is four or five times bigger than the Threadbow store, so we can have all the apparel that Rip Curl make, you know, like all the clothing. And we yep. sell a truckload of that down there. Whereas Threadbow, we don't have the space. It's only 50 square metres, so we focus on the mountain wear. Yeah. And, and all the accessories from other brands, you know, gyro goggles and helmets and, you know, Dragon and Electric and Pret and all that sort of stuff. So you were allowed to sell what you want in the store or it has to be affiliated? Um, yeah, we can sell what we want. It's got to be uh, uh, mountain wear. We just sell Rip Curl and clothing just sell Rip Curl. But base all third-party all third party accessories like base layers, helmets, goggles, you know, backcountry gear, all that sort of stuff. It's that's fine. We can do what we want. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And have you always done Chill Factor at the same time? The magazine. The magazine. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the magazine. Well, magazine. We launched that in two thousand. At the time, like I said, I'd been in surf magazines for ages, and then about ninety eight, uh, Surfing World magazine was up for sale. Yeah. And. Um, Three, I never get a mate of mine rang me and said, "Hey, you want to go in buying Surfing World with um, two other mates?" So we bought it, and um, and so that and Surfing World was the longest running surf mag in Australia. You know, it's a bit of an icon. So we took over that. Then we all and at the time I was editing Powderhound Magazine for a, another company, Morrison Media. 
and they published Surfing Life magazine. So all of a sudden, Peter Morrison, he said, hang on, you're my opposition in the surf. So yeah. I did Powderhound for one year while we owned Surfing World. Then we are all skiers. Um, we bought Surfing World. Not, they were sort of, you know, uh, recreational skiers, my mates. We just thought we'd launch um, a ski magazine. And the reason we call it Chill Factor is because um, Steve Lee and his partner, Alan Long, they'd launched chillfactor.com in 1996, oh. which was the very first snow website in Australia and one of the first websites in the world to have yeah. uh, snow cams. Yeah. So, they, so we did a deal with them. It made sense because I've been, Steve's one of my, I've been really good mates with Steve for a long time. So, um, yeah, we did that. So we called it Chill Factor and it sort of worked with the, um, the website. Yeah. And eventually that morphed into Mountain Watch. That is really forward thinking because not a lot of people back in the day even th- even knew what websites were. And if you had a cross promotion of a website and a magazine, like that's quite amazing. And I, I think people were people accepting of that. Where did where did your advertisers go? Did they go to the website? Did they go to the mag? Or like well, they, they were different, you know. Like the um, the industry, the snow industry, the core industry, you know, the, all the hardware and um, you know mountain wear goggle brands. They'd like to go with. Um, with the magazine and, and a bit of both. And because we had Surfing World, there's a lot of crossover as well, you know, like, yeah. like a lot of our advertisers in Surfing World, especially uh, Oakley, um, Dragon, Electric, that do um, sunglasses as well as goggles, they'd market the surf market. And then, you know, Rip Curl, Billabong, Quicksilver, Roxy, they're big yeah. in the surf and they're huge in the snow. And, you know, yeah. and back then, you know, like they were amongst the strongest brands because the, the snowboard Specific brands were hadn't you know they started getting oh they had traction by then I suppose but they weren't as big as it was now so there's a lot of crossover going on mm. yeah it's true it's true so with the, so how did you so all your publishing history yeah like Chill Factor just relaunched uh, well it had its twentieth issue last year didn't it sorry so 20th. yeah well what happened <laughs> yeah this is a long involved story <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested but, <laughs> but anyway so the four of us who owned Surfing World and Chill Factor. Uh, 2009, we launched Transfer Snowboard Magazine. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we had uh, another partner come in, a guy named uh, Kim Sundell, and he owned CoastalWatch.com, which was the biggest surf site in Australia. Yep. So Kim became our partner. And um, then we launched Mountain Watch like, in 2009. And that, you know, is a sister site to Coastal Watch. Yep. And that sort of took Chill Factor website with it. Yeah. Um, and then eventually we all sold out. We, we sold the four original partners. We sold out our shares to Kim, I don't know, about five or six years ago. Yeah, okay. And then, um, then about three years ago, Kim just decided he was over it and he disinvested <laughs> from pretty every, pretty well everything. He sold Mountain Watch to Quinton Nolan. Oh, yeah. Who, um, and then he sold um, Coastal Watch to Surfline, the big US guys, and then, he basically didn't want the magazines anymore, so I took Chill Factor back. Um, wow. uh, Richie Carroll and Tora Bright and Angus Thompson bought Transfer. Yeah. And the guys, uh, Sean and the uh, Sean Doherty, Johnny Frank, who are the editor and uh, of Surfing World and the senior photographer, they bought Surfing World. So it's that's gone a, a full circle. <laughs> that's a lot of business plans, or do you go with the flow? We just go with the flow. Kim rang up and said, you want Chill Factor? I went, I'm moving to Crescent Head. I went, okay, yeah, no worries. Far out. And then I got my partners. Then I dragged Tony Harrington, Rilla, um, Morgan, and Walker McLennan in with me because, you know, 
Yeah, it's a big thing for four people to run it, hey? Like get your yeah, yeah, it is because I, I mean I've been uh, running, yeah, you know, editor the whole time. But when yeah. you have a publishing house, you had I had ad sales people and. Yeah, you've got people chasing up circulation. You've got people taking care of this because it was pretty. At one stage, um, the previous owners they had like it was five magazines, two websites. You know, so it was a fairly it was a small operation, but big enough. So all I had to do was put the magazine together. Yeah, Um, you know, like Harrow did. uh, Tony Harrington does the art direction now, and um, he and I sort of worked through it a bit. He'll sell. You know, he sends up the PDFs of things, and we'll make changes and suggestions. You know. yeah, but um, it's good. It's good having Harrow there because before I didn't have a photo editor either. So I was like editor, photo editor, you know, yeah. um, sub, the whole bit, you know, so kind of good having Harrow. Yeah. Photo editor and also having a designer who knows snow. So how many, so I think, I think a magazine's going to be good back in the world of um, snow because people are just getting to, everything's on screen. I think people are wanting to be a little bit more tactile again now and look at the beauty in their hands, you know, it's just you flick through so much so fast. And when I did pick up my bloody Chill Factor mag, I went, oh, here it is. I can kind of live it through here while I'm sitting in my seat, you know, not just scroll. Is your How's your circulation going? The circulation's good. It's strong, you know, and it's, yeah. it's funny, you know, like, um, you know, we are the only snow title left, which is due, you know, the last contraction last year of the, um, you know, with the lockdowns in Victoria and stuff, and hopefully that's not going to happen again. But oh that really hit the snow industry pretty hard. So we lost, you know, the advertisers had to pull out. Yep. Um, we did that Kickstarter campaign, which yeah. was really good, which raised, you know, we set our target at 17 grand, which paid the uh, paid the print bill. And then we had the backing from uh, maybe four core advertisers, which paid the contributors. So it enabled us to keep going. And we had a lot of support, you know, and then so we've got a good subscriptions base now which we'll build yep. and, you know, and the traditional news agents um, distribution still works pretty well. You know, I was in Jindy the other day. She's got 120 issues delivered and she awesome. sold out, you know, last year. Yeah. Hopefully she'll do it again. So, wow. yeah. yeah, I think you're right. People like it, you know. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, we're all just getting sick of being on screens, aren't we? And our kids. Well, that's right. Everything. Like, yeah. Uh, and it's a good um, present for a teenage kid as well, a mag. Yeah, yeah. But um, hey, so Mountain Watch, what is it? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> for, the, for the punters. For the punters. Oh, Mountain Watch, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, a snow forecast um, uh, condition site primarily. Like our, our main thing is, you know, mountainwatch.com. It's all about the mountains. So, you know, the, uh, the core of the business is snow forecasting, snow reports, snow cameras. So forecasting and conditions and we also have a, a really strong editorial uh, base, um, content-wise, and also travel's a big part of it as well. So, yeah, yeah. Mountain Watch is sort of this holistic um, portal for everything snow. It's and yeah. so the elusive grasshopper. Are you allowed to say his name, his nope. or her name? No. <laughs> no. Okay. So I can say, contrary to what uh, my son's mates tell him at school, it's not me. Uh, oh. That was what my, where my mind went actually. Yeah. So. <clears throat> He or she is this, so who is the grasshopper if people don't know? Well, the grasshopper is our lead forecaster at Mountain Watch um, and the reason we called, labelled them the grasshopper is just to keep the continuity going and, you know, keep a bit of mystique about them. But um, the grasshopper is a highly experienced uh, weather forecast with uh, 10 years as lead forecaster for one of the major weather providers in the world and folk and specialising in Alpine forecast and a super keen uh, skier. 
Mm. Well, that's where it's my prediction at. I was going Tim Bailey. Tim Bailey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tim used to come down here and do snow reports, but usually I'd be in the background telling them what the conditions were like. (laughs) Exactly, I can imagine. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people sweat on hearing the the, the copper. Yeah, for sure. Like I just, I've just got his um, second seasonal outlook for Australia, which I'll publish this afternoon. Which is, you know, what's the date? June the second. Yeah. Um, and what we do, he does these outlooks over winter, you know, May, June, July, August, and September. And then in the northern hemisphere, we start them in December for Japan and North America mm. as well. Because um, so, what does what does he or she use for predicting, like? obviously like software and experience but how do they get like a long-term range well the long-term forecast which they are you know the grasshopper always at pains to point out is it's not a forecast because it's literally you ask any weather forecast it's impossible yeah to forecast a snowfall that might happen in two weeks you know so you can see so these things are all about the climate drivers so it's more of a discussion about what's happening around the entire world at the moment with weather drivers and different models and all that sort of stuff and how that may affect uh, the upcoming season. Like I don't know if you noticed um, back in April the bomb were forecasting a really dry winter. Yeah. And on the 22nd they released these maps that showed that. Seven days later something had changed one of the climate drivers had changed and then they were forecasting or expecting a uh, wetter and milder winter with heavier, you know, more precipitation across the entire country, and that includes the, the southeast where where we are. But um, yeah, so that's it's all about that. But the forecasts we do, like in the season, like you know, in July we start them seven day, you know, every day, and mm. basically people hang on that because that's when things change. You know, so often he'll, you know, the forecast can change dramatically between Monday yeah. and Tuesday, but the, the rule of thumb is um, 72 hours out, it's 50% accuracy, and yeah. as you get closer, it increases. They still call, well, they'll still call a 10-day forecast a fantasy forecast. Yeah. Because well, anything yeah. can happen to change it, you know. So I've always lived by if it's under 15 degrees in Adelaide and raining, we're going to get snow in the next Under 15, you'll get snow around the top. 13 is better. 30, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because yeah, usually you do, and that's a fairly, you know, and, you know, if you can look at a map and you'll see all the cold air and as long as the, you know, the air's coming out of the Great Australian Bight and the isobars are pretty tight, you know, those really good meaty ones you get, um, yeah. you know, a lot of cold air with it, which, you know, um, there makes the difference. Then you've got those weird ones like we had last year that come out of the southeast, yeah. off of the east coast low. Yeah. And we had like a a metre here in Threadbow that day. It was such wet and heavy snow, though, like tree branches were falling down. The place in front of mine, you know, got a massive hole in the roof. There was, you Too know, much. but you think down at Mount Hotham and you can see Mount Bogong from the top of um, Threadbow, they didn't get a flake. Right, it's, yeah. That whole front was just 80 k's too far north for snow in the in Victorian Alps, whereas here you just got tonnes. Yeah, it's it's wet and heavy. It was so wet. It was ridiculous. It's like yep. that's not fun. It's also quite inconvenient with those forecasts because we're both married to people that will look at those and go, "There's a storm coming. Let's go!" And suddenly, all the plans go out the window, and it's like, "But they've got 
kids' parties and we've got sport cancel everything. Oh, you like, know, kids have got a long life. You can, they can have lots of parties. You can't miss a good – when a storm's on, you've got to go. You know? we, we, got, we, got a, we got three storms last year. We got them all. Oh, that's good. See, that's that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing about, you know, if you're chasing snow, you need flexibility really. You, yeah. Pre, I mean, that's one of the problems, I suppose. Everyone can afford their – they're looking for a week down the snow. They book a second week in August and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. It'll dump the week before and then, yeah. you know. But if you, if you can go, wow, look at that storm coming, you mm. know, the forecast 48 hours out is for 30 centimetres of snow. You just get in your car and go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, pros and cons, isn't it? Like you can you book your accommodation and then you're set and you can, you know what you're doing or whatever, but you may, it may be hit and miss, miss with the weather. But if you're just going to go down when there's a storm, then you're grabbing like we do, like last minute accommodation in Jindabyne, something cheap and cheerful. But then you got to sit in the car six in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then you get the snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then you get the snow, and then you can drive all the way back to Sydney and go. That was a good thirteen hour trip. <laughs> yeah, weekend warriors, we love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, someone has to be. True. Yeah. You just hope it falls. You just go. Can you please let it fall exactly. on Wednesday? Exactly. On a Wednesday where we can go Wednesday, Thursday, like, and then work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, like we can tell, like, when the, um, you know, the forecast comes out on a Thursday, everyone's looking at that. And that's why, like, I do my video reports on a Thursday and, you yeah. know, I have the grasshoppers forecast for that day. And obviously he's looking three days in advance, you know, like that's a, so um, it's, it's, yeah. oh, it's the one everyone waits for, you know. Yeah. Is there any storms you've ever been caught out in? Like, you know, apart from the one, the metre of snow, is there, are you kind of like, oh, wow, we didn't expect that much wind to bring that much snow or? Oh, yeah, like a classic example was last year. It looked like there was another one, a big wet uh, storm coming through. And I think it was about three weeks later and it just tracked a little bit far, too far north, had a tonne of snow down to maybe 1,700 metres or a bit high, 1,800 metres and on the Saturday. Then it just climbed, a snow level climbed up to... 2,000 metres and it rained all the way to the top. Oh, and that was just one of those things, you know. And, um, yeah, so, it's, you know, it just changed. You know, yeah. the wind changed directly. That was <coughs> yeah. that, that missed out. And then you then you get ones that just hang around. Like the best storm we had last year, heaps of wind with it, but it dropped a metre of snow. So over three days and really cold, you know. So it was four good powder days in a row, but it was really hard going up there. If you don't like yeah. this way, it wasn't a fair weather skier's dream. Well, Australia, Australia doesn't tend to be fair with the ski dreams. That's why we get yeah. out there and we're amongst it in everything, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what um in Threadbo, like what what's going to happen in twenty twenty one that kind of was learnt from twenty twenty season? <clears throat> like last year, you had um you guys had trouble with was it one of the guns or? Oh no, that was a full on um the the air. So basically, the snow making system, you got the you know a water pipe and an air pipe and the air pipe blew and it blew massively. So it was a three month uh, repair job. They had to dig up the road, um, lay down a new, I think they laid down from the, from the control center where they they replaced the whole line up to, from the control center, which is the bottom of one of the car parks up past the base of uh, high noon, past the gondola mid station. And so they had to replace that whole line. So, that was just one of those things. And you got to worry, like every ski resort in the world would be going, I wonder when something's going to blow. Because that, and that hose, it's 30 years old. So, yeah. you know, I suppose if they replaced it two years ago, it wouldn't have happened. But 
You never Ball's know. It's easy when you got hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly like predicting the snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, it's definitely a talk. I think it's one of the most spoken about things, isn't it? Well, you know, what's it going to do tomorrow if you, when you're in the bar having your hour pray? It's like, oh, it's a bit windy, temperatures dropped, is it going to snow? It's it's certainly one of the main conversations that happen around every ski resort, whatever place you are in the world, you know? And you, Without a doubt, yeah. And everyone knows, they kind of go, okay, comes from, and everyone's got their own story. So yeah. to throw out a massive prediction, I I go, yeah, well done to you guys because it's it's a tough gig to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, these um, season outlook, you know, and like I've just read before we got on, started the meeting of this call, I just checked it out. It's, yeah, it hasn't changed much since last time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll think like they're forecasting snow. Yesterday the models were calling 10 centimetres of snow. On yep. Tuesday night, now it's jumped up to 30. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so that's changed in 24 hours. That could jump back, you yeah. know, probably by Saturday, late Saturday, Sunday. But it's yep. looking like snow. This is leading the long weekend. So, snow flurries all week over, you know, five days. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tuesday could be a good little hit, you know. So, it's got, like I said, you went from 10 yeah. to uh, 20 overnight. That's just what happens. It's like yeah. when, you know, the forecast is five mil of rain and you get 40. Yeah, yeah, it's happened. So, do you like Spencer's Creek as the main point of the snow depths for the? Is that a is that a good? You know, that it's just the marker that has been there since the sixties, I guess. Do you reckon it's a yeah, good? Yeah, I mean, it, it shows you how much snow has fallen in New South Wales, but it's like the on the northern side of the part of the main range. It is it's snowy hydro. Choose it. You know, they just yeah. you know they just go and measure it every Wednesday and publish a thing. So there's no. Um, resort involved it's a bit different like say down in victoria they have depth stakes around the um resorts yep. so you know like bill barker who does our mount hotham reports he's the head uh, head of ski patrol down there so every morning someone who worked either him or one of his staff go and check the stakes and yeah. they've got they're all in different areas you know so they know how much has fallen you know at the top of hotham how much fell down the bottom of snake gully all, all that sort of stuff yep. and they're independent because they're actually employed by they're not employed by the resorts, they're employed by the state government. So that yeah, okay. people always say, oh, the marketing department has called this and called that. But you know, I, I think um Spencer Creek can use an average of what it's like on the top half of the mountain, like above eighteen hundred meters. Yeah. It's an average, but it's not necessarily saying how much is at Perisher above eighteen hundred or how much is here, you know, probably closer to Charlotte's proper depth, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And the mm. snow cams, do you like when you when they go online for you guys? You're like, oh my gosh, they did not clean the snow cam. That's <laughs> <laughs> a bit hard. I mean, yeah, those snow cams are all over the place. But yeah, you get annoyed when one of your favourites is down. Yeah, I like, know oh, that one. You know, yeah. You got to draw straws. Who's going to like shimmy up the pole and give it a, one of well, these? With it's your funny because we had Mountain Watch was the first to put in streaming cameras, so the resorts didn't have any streaming cameras at all. So we put them in at our expense. Um, we had one, two here in Threbo, three at Perishar, two I think at Falls, three in Bull and three at Hotham, you know, and they cost a fortune streaming all that data. Then eventually the resorts, um, and we used access to all the resorts still cameras, and then uh, eventually resorts got their own cameras in, yeah. uh, streaming cameras, you know. But they were using ours originally, but, you know, they probably didn't like having a big mountain watch watermark on the Perisher site, so they didn't, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, um, but all the resorts are really, you know, they obviously see us as a partner, not a 
that's not a competitor. Yeah, yeah that was going to be my next because you are promoting their resorts at the end of the day and go, hey, come down, Australia's on fire. Or yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hopefully not on fire. Yeah. Well, we no, get- no, not like last year, but they're pretty good. I mean, and they're also good like with my video reports. They're not worried about what I say, which might, you know, if it's raining, it's raining, you know. And um, yeah. so no one's ever said to me, oh, can you make it sound a little bit better than what it is or... Oh, that's good because that is an actual legitimate question. Yes. You think yes. like, you know, when you're when you're down in Jindabyne and it's like, come up, it's looking good. It's like, is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was well, my on yeah, reggae on the couch. How <laughs> is it true? <laughs> you have to be real, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Like our whole thing is about accuracy, you know. And then my theory, like all the years I was doing radio reports, um, and I remember my first job at Triple and the boss said, My job is not to get people down there on Threadbow's behalf, even though Threadbow were paying for the accommodation and had a massive ad spend, my job was to tell, like the same with the surf report, you just tell people what the conditions are. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's a, it's a one-shot tr- one trust thing, isn't it? So yeah. if it's like come up, it's fabulous, and it's not fabulous, then the next time they don't trust what you say. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and when it's horrendous, like if it's yeah pouring rain top to bottom, just say it's pouring rain top to bottom because... Yeah. It's easy, and then when it's really good, people know it's really good, you know. And, like, I noticed even last year, like, that whole situation at Perisher where the tickets weren't released even though you had an epic pass, we were down in Perisher going, uh, I mean, down in Jindabyne saying, well, let's just go up anyway, go and buy a coffee and wander around. And then, I mean, you know, it was just nice being there. And then in the afternoon they actually released tickets so we quickly got changed and everything, but... So I mean, Threadbow is even better like that because you you can you can still come up if it's horrendous and go shopping. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, you got the village, so you got a, a lot more um, quite a few options here to entertain for if you're not on the snow. But um, yeah, and it's just yeah, and the wind. Well, the wind is always an issue with wind hold and stuff. But pretty yeah. well, yeah, that all depends on wind direction. And again, that can change dramatically. Like often, you know, forecasting winds in alpine areas is pretty well one of the most difficult things you can do. So if it's forecast winds, are, you see this year round, you know, they'll, they'll be forecasting a, you know, a nor'wester in December at 15 k's and all of a sudden it actually turns out it's 80 k's at the top, you know. So yeah. it's like little microclimates due to the, um, mm. just due to the terrain, you know. Yeah, just going off topic a little bit, back onto the fire because it did come really close to Threadboat last year and over the back of Charlotte's. How were the winds in that? Because they create their own winds, don't they, fire? Were you amongst all that? Like, sorry, just to go way off topic, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, no, I was actually in Japan oh. when um, when that was happening. Um, but, yeah, we left here in early December. So the fires had started though around and then we're obviously watching it closely. But um, I was here in the 2003 fires when that pretty well came up. Yeah. Sides, Threadbow was pretty well locked. You couldn't get out. You couldn't, you know, couldn't go Alpine Way to Cancoban, couldn't get to Ginnabine. It was closed both ways. Yeah. Um, and that was the wind and they reckon. I remember the spike, the head of the fire department. He goes, "Okay, if this fork, if the bureau's right with the forecast, we're pretty well." Yep. <laughs> I went, gotcha. And I'm standing. He said, "Okay," and he's like putting us in different areas. You know, okay, you guys, you two have to do this area, and you get standing there with your fire hose, going, "Oh, with your garden hose." Oh, this will be good. Um, <laughs> we're battling. We're battling. Flames. But they had evacuated the whole village except for a skeleton crew. Yeah. I've got an amazing photo, Steve Dunn from Good Times. <laughs> like he he took this amazing photo of pretty much the mountain on fire with spark. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
But, yeah, yeah it's a scary well, photo, I'm, but it's an amazing photo. Yeah, well, the 2003 ones, it got to Funnelweb and they had turned the, um, yeah. uh, the snowmaking guns on. You yeah. know, and then and, it, and down the Alpine Way, it came up to as far as the ranger station. So that was, and then boom, the, the wind change, you know, and that's like, you know, you see that all the time. It saved the day, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yes, luckily. And, that's and last a- year was same, you know, it's, it's got super intense and then gradually just um, eased off. The fire got to about 5Ks. It got towards Dirt, Dead Horse Gap. And there's a place they call Siberia and it got to there, you know, whereas, um, the downside towards Jindy, you know, luckily the fire didn't get in that part of the world. Was yeah. there a jukebox in Siberia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shirley Strawn was there dancing on it. <laughs> oh, God, showing our age. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like <laughs> <laughs> a sky hook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so on your, I noticed on the Mountain Watch website as well, there, there's a big travel package section. You do like a travel tour to Japan when the borders open. Like that's exciting. yeah, yeah. We um, yeah, Mountain Watch tours. Yeah, so yeah. Mountain Watch travel. Um, because uh, Quentin Nolan, who bought Mountain Watch from Three Crowns Media, he owns Liquid Snow Tours. Yep. So travel is yep. always a part of it. No, he was always a big advertiser. And we had a lot of partnerships with Liquid Snow. And then last year, um, well, the year before we started these Mountain Watch powder tours through Japan, and we did a, um, and we did another one called the Icon Pass Tour through North America. And what we did, we just part of your package, you got an Icon Pass, and that was like, you know, that went Squaw Mammoth, Jackson Hole, Revelstoke. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're doing one to um, New Zealand this year. We're doing actually we're doing a Mountain Watch uh, free ride camp. Yeah. Um, has been announced yet. Where's coming out? (laughs) (laughs) So we've done a partnership with the North Face and Michaela Davis Meehan for um, a free ride camp over there in Queenstown in uh, September. So it's sort of awesome. They go hand in hand, you know, and like because we've um, got the travel and sort of, you know, like one leads the other and like so much of our content, you know, it's always been about travel, you know, like I go back in the archives, you know, and sometimes I'll, find something we ran in 2010, oh, that's still relevant, you know, so I'll just update yeah. a few things. We'll rerun it again. We've done a lot of Mountain Watch guides, you know, Mountain Watch guide to Squaw Valley, Mountain Watch guide to Huckabar, Mountain Watch guide to Queenstown, you know, Mountain Watch guide to Perisher, you know. So those yeah. things were always really popular. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a big part of it, you know, and obviously, you know, um, commercially it works as well because, you know, so how do you get the Mountain Watch name out to newbies? How do I get it to where? To new people. To new, to new people. Um, or well, is, it, whole... is it not so much a newbie thing, it's just like a steady following of people that have followed you? Yeah, and I think it's word of mouth as well. And then we do uh, we do, do some marketing. Like I do, um, you know, the snow reports for the Daily Telegraph daily. It's a Mountain Watch snow report and then... Um, on ABC Radio every Saturday, I do them as well. So a lot of things are sourced as Mountain Watch. You know, I was doing the Mountain Watch on the local radio, like Snow FM here in Ginderbine. A few years I've done like twice a week a Mountain Watch snow forecast. Yeah. Which is a bit different to, um, you know, the snow reports they get from the resorts. So yep. you get it out that way, but a lot of it's word of mouth because, you know, let's face it, it's like um, it's a site designed for enthusiastic skiers and snowboarders. People want to know. What the snow's like. So our audience, I suppose, is a fairly committed snow enth- Australian snow enthusiast. That's why the travel works so well, you know. Like um, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, we're not one for, um, you know, top ten picks and all that sort of stuff. It's more about what's going on. We actually went through liquid snow tours when we first took our family to Japan. I had a good experience. Well, no, well, I mean, I've been going to Japan since I was 16, but when I when I took the kids there, it was like, oh, my gosh, I know there's like over 500 resorts there and where do you start? And yeah. so were, I remember they were really patient on the phone So it was like, should we go here? Should we go here? Should we go here? Should we go here? And, all, you know, anyway, I just remember they were very patient with us. Yeah, <laughs> Well, like I said, there's 500 resorts. It's hard to choose which one, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good to go with a to a company like that that specialises in it. So, yeah. So, if people go to Threadbow, will they be expected to see you in your shop? Will you be running the shop? Will you be out on the slopes? Uh, a bit of both. I try and go on the hill every day, usually yeah. in the morning. I've got to check the snow conditions, but you know. Exactly. And um, <laughs> yeah, and then I'm usually in the shop uh, afternoons. I don't. I'm, I'm more in Threadbow than Ginnabite. Uh, yeah. We've got like two or three staff down there. Threadbow's much smaller shop, so you can one or two people can handle it pretty easily. And then, um, yeah, so I get up here a lot and also, you know, get over to Perisher, try and get there at least once a week to check conditions out in Perisher as well. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm do you have, do you have a, yeah, are you heavily biased towards Threadbow? Uh, yeah. yeah. You are? <laughs> oh, yeah, like Threadbow's home. Um, I, I personally believe on when Threadbow is the best, it's by far the best skiing in Australia. Um, um, you know, Hotham's a close second and Buller, if it's at its best, you know, when the lower air is open, there's no fog. It's pretty amazing. Like Mm. it's got some probably the steepest inbound terrain in Australia, but yeah, but I like, I like, you know, Parrish is fun too. You know, it's got, I like Parrish on a nice sunny day. We can cruise around. Um, I like here. Because on a storm day, there's so many. It's easy to find protection in the trees and good long tree runs. Yeah, but you know, I'm biased because I, you know, you know, Queenscliff is the best beach in Sydney for surf, but it's obviously not. (laughs) 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 That's where I grew up. Yeah, Yeah, cool. But um, Charlotte Pass. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, my sons usually trains over there a lot, so I'm usually dropping him down the ski tube or something. And yeah, 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 nice. Yeah, yeah. It's do they go to school down in Jindy? You're, you're yeah, yeah, they go to Jindy Central School, so they get the bus. Although the amount, you know, we've uh, in summer, you know, my wife's usually open the shop by not Ginny's shop at nine o'clock, so they they head down there and you know, yeah. the bus leaves here at eight o'clock every morning, so it's pretty easy. It's there by eight thirty. So yeah, yeah snow life. Well, you been, how long did you say that you've been living in the snow for? Like, what's uh, year round? Yeah. Uh, since two thousand and seven. That's amazing. Well, you've yeah. certainly made the life out of it, haven't you? It's, it can, would you recommend it to people coming through to go, okay, I'm going to go to Thread, Thread, Threadbow obviously where you can make a life out of it because it's year-round. Would mm-hmm. you say, yep, go for it for the young kids coming through as maybe, I don't know, a journalist coming through? Is there an option for them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, like I think, um, you know, either living here or there, Ginderbine obviously is a great year-round place to live too and, um uh, it's you know really growing down there. You know they're building a new school, state high school in Ginnabine, which probably will be the state of the art public education campus in New South Wales. Yeah, wow. Um, with the local member John Barillaro right behind it. So yeah, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I've seen the plans for it. It's going to be pretty amazing out there at Sport and Rec. Um, yeah. So is that, and then they they re you know that whole Sport and Rec area where they're building the. Um, the big uh, air, airbag jump now, that's going to be the biggest airbag for 360-day 
a year training for the park and pipe skiers and snowboarders. So that's going to be huge. And so, yeah, there's all sorts of things year-round happening yep. down here that make it a good place to live, you know. Um, it's funny, though, it's reflected in growing price rises, though, as far as um, real estate goes, but that's like everywhere, I suppose. But, yeah, um, I can imagine, actually, yeah. We miss yeah, it's people. funny. When I go back to Sydney, I'm pretty keen. I mean, I love it. I love going back to Manly, catching up for Three days, I'm pretty well done. That's you know? <laughs> yeah, true. You know, it's pretty. It's just like that, you know. Yeah. I, I drive, you know, when you come over from and uh, what's the, like you just come over the hill into Jindabyne. Uh, it is Jindabyne, you first yeah. see the lake. Yeah, when you first see the lake and I'm like, oh, I love that. I feel like I'm at home. I just. Yeah. I just get goosebumps every time I'm like, right here. And then our family always has a race of where, who sees the snow first driving. From oh, snow. okay. It's like, saw it first and you're like, oh, wow. And it's like, yeah, saw it up in the mountain. And you're like, yeah, it's just a really do, great feeling. We do the smokestack. Who can spot the smokestack? Yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I call it a smokestack. It's probably a nuclear power plant or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. So, um, yeah, also before we wrap it up with our wrap-up question, I just want to ask you about the shuttle bus. Um, there's some, you know, lots of talk on the on the forums about them trialling shuttle buses this season. From Jindabyne? Yeah, from Jindabyne up and down the hills. Do you know more about that? Or is that no, I don't know. Much? It just seems pretty logical to me. Yeah. Um, Every other yeah, they, used to, they, used to have, they used to have buses. I remember um, a few times we used to have this, I remember skiing over it, Perish and Blue Cow and getting the tube down, you time it, you jump on a bus to Trepa. Well, I know someone had said online, oh, but there's a private shuttle bus company. And I think my reply was like, more the merrier. Like, let's take yeah, well, the off the road. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, it's kind of weird. There's no public transport out of Jindabyne to the resorts. Yeah. You know, like, absolutely. And plus, you know, like driving up Kosciuszko Road to Perish is not fun during a storm, you know. Oh. And, yeah, one so, car goes off, slides out, and then what? Your trips become a you know two hours. It was a couple of two and a half hour trips last year. So, oh, that's it. You imagine if there's like a fleet of like fifteen going up and back, like the change to parking and everything. Well, you can enjoy your long lunch. Yeah, you know, it's everything. I reckon. Um, I can't think of anywhere else in the world I've been that doesn't have a public transport option mm. to get from the local feeder town to the. The resort, yeah, you know, to the mountain. So, mate, if they can do it in New Zealand, and those roads are yeah. <laughs> treacherous, like yeah, exactly, <laughs> then we can do then we can do the Alpine way up through to Threadbow and you know up through to Perisha. But I'd like, yeah. It. yeah, I think it's. Do you see the resorts? Like, just sorry, off the back of that question, I, we were talking to the snow chefs yesterday. Is that the food we're starting to kind of evolve in Australia? You know, we're we're not we're going a little bit breaking outside. We don't have to have burgers and chips. We can have a taco. We can have a Japanese. We can have everyone starting to explore a bit more in the mountains with their growth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, in Jindabyne you've got some yeah you've got some good options there. Obviously on the mountain, like you know, yeah, Perish, you got the um, you got a few options there. I think here in Threadbow on mountain, you know, yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't know, you know, like I suppose living here, I get, like, you know, sometimes I used to think Threadbow Village had an executive chef because everyone had to do modern Australian cuisine. So every <laughs> restaurant was exactly the same. <laughs> That's so true. But that has changed, you know. Um, you know, and like down in Jindy, you know, it's great. You know, you've got, you know, Kachina, Mexican and Takayama, which is really good Japanese. Yeah. Whereas, you know, five years ago, you, you know, you had 
Mario's mind shaft for some pasta and that was about it's it, you know. True. It's true, yeah. So it is kind of changing, I think, the environment. Yeah. I don't know about Victoria and I haven't been actually to Victoria, but, yeah. Well, I think, you yeah. know, it, but, yeah. yeah, it will be. But, yeah, I think it's good. It's good, but it's kind of scary at the same time because it's our mountains changing, which I go, oh, but. yeah. More. Well, they've got, to, they've got to evolve, don't they, with the times. Like we, you know, we interviewed um, Josh, the lead advocate of POW, and yep. just that whole, like what we're talking about, with the shuttle buses and. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, Josh Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah, it's good. I think they, uh, you know, I think, like, when you think the, the school bus goes from Threadbow every day at 8 o'clock, comes back at 3.30, surely there could be a few more buses during the day. Yeah. Um, in winter to get people up and down, all you've got to do is have like a, you know, every 90 minutes or something out of Jindy from 7.30 and away you'd go. Away you go. Half the car, everyone's off the road then. Yeah, true. Yeah. It'll yeah. make it better. But, yeah, I don't know if the ski tube would like it. Well, they'd have one to ski tube as well, though, you know. Like, yeah, true, true. You know, yeah. That would yeah. be a good thing. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, quite yeah, it's quite a few things that, that could happen um, in the Australian ski resource. But, they're, yeah, slowly and surely getting there. But, you know, it's a... Not an easy thing to do running a ski resort, I don't think. But, no way, no way. I wouldn't do it for a we'll keep, we'll keep pushing for all the changes we like to see, and we'll yeah, good changes. <laughs> yeah, you guys push. That'll be good. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of wrap it up with um, our favorite. So the question to you is: um, Where's your most favorite place in the world to ski? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I've. Uh, um, Probably like a bit of a second home for us was Squaw Valley. Uh, we went there five or eight years in a row um, from when the kids were little, you know. Um, yeah. And we kept going back. Uh, it was just handy. I was good. They were both doing a like uh, a training program there with Squaw Free. And then it just, you know, it's just um, a beautiful and the mountain's insane. And last time we were there in 2019, we got – 11 metres of snow during the 11 weeks we were there. It was the best skiing I've ever had anywhere in the world by far. Wow. Uh, probably that's my favourite place, but, I mean, there's so many, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I Three know. Months. Well, if the world had ended in 2019 with COVID, you would have been sorted. 11 metres of snow at score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, yeah, so that was that was epic. So that's probably our second favourite place. But, yeah, that's the one place. But then I could say Jackson Hole. Yeah, it's tough. St. Anton, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. Well, I always, I always think like if you if someone said, "Here's an apartment that I'm going to buy for you," where are you going to? Where is it going to be? That's how you decide because it oh. commits you. Then, yeah, <laughs> um, that's a hard one, isn't it? It's a really hard one because every you know that old cliche is no such thing as a bad day skiing like I, I don't everywhere I've been in the world has been pretty amazing like as far you know like yeah it's what you in Japan and North America and I've only been to Europe a couple of times but you know like it's funny the most fun day skiing I've ever had have probably often been here in Threadbow you know yeah so you know skiing with the bombing down the bluff with the kids and stuff like that's always pretty mm. good fun yeah yeah Quite well, a lot of people actually say that don't they yeah, yeah. yeah. we talk to that you know they're it's who you with. It's who you with that makes a ski holiday because you could be getting rain. Well, that's right. You can get the rain anywhere in the world. Yeah, I was in Jackson Hole and rain one morning. So yeah, but, um, yeah. I suppose yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been very exciting to you. I remember growing up listening to your voice on the radio, me getting yeah. excited as a kid driving to the snow, you know, like I came from the Gold Coast. So we had to, it was an epic journey for us to get to Charlotte Pass. Yeah, <laughs> so, And there was your voice giving me the the predictions and the daily snow and we're like, shh, everyone, shush, reggae's talking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like, is it say shush when I'm talking? That definitely doesn't happen. Uh, Your own children never listen to you, do you? No, they don't. I'm learning that, especially when they're 15 and 16. No. We've got a bit bit of a thing going with, like, can you tell my kids about that? Can you tell my kids about that? Because, yeah, it always sounds better coming from someone else. Yeah, all my kids just say, all I get now is when I go skiing with them, go, Dad, why are you so slow these days, you know? I know. Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day. No. That's right. I remember I had to wait for you guys a lot. You know? Yes, yeah. Now they just want to ski with me, so that's probably makes it easier. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I know we train them up to want to ski with us and then they just dump us and we're like, what? Yeah, dump it as soon as they can. Yeah. Well, you know. That's and does that, um, the artist who did that beautiful um, painting in the background, does she sell, is she commercial? Oh, yeah, Zoe, yeah, for sure. She's got. Um, What's her name? Zoe Young. Okay. Yeah, so she's got a studio is in Barrel and she's done a few paintings. She's there's an awesome, awesome portrait she's done in Threadbar Pun Hotel of Frank Bahoda, who's the oldest living Australian Olympian. He lives here. Frank's turns one hundred this year. Oh wow. And he still lives here in Threadbar and he was um skied at the fifty six Olympics for Australia, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Zoe's got stuff she's done there. Like, yeah, she's very prolific and as I said, she a Tora Bright um, portrait hung in the Archibald. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to. Quite we'll have to but, yeah, she's that. awesome. I love that painting. But, yes. as I said, my daughter won't let me hang it till she leaves home. So oh. I put it in my little office alcove. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I see her on the hill, hang the painting. <laughs> um, so you mentioned before that about Stephen Lee, how he had the chillfactor.com. He's a big part of the Australian snow industry. He's had um, quite a... Severe accident. Um, was it? No, September last year. September last year. Yeah. Sorry. Gosh, time time goes fast. But yeah. So tell us a little bit. We know he had a stroke and that he's unable to run his businesses currently. So let us. And he's a big part in your life. So how how is he doing? Well, yeah, Steve's doing pretty good. I did an interview with him um, just a few weeks ago in for Chill Factor. It was after the Snow Australia Awards where he'd been there and. You know, he'd received a, I can't remember what they call it, snow medallion, him and four of his, uh, or three of his friends he used to race with quite a bit. So, yeah, Steve, um, he had a massive, uh, yeah, quite a big stroke, so it's left him paralysed uh, pretty well on the left-hand side. He's cognitively a lot better now and, you know, he's talking and his humour's still there and stuff like that, but he's got a long road ahead. So, yeah, well, uh, with that, you know, he's got his... Um, his lodge and his backcountry guiding business in Huckabar and also his backcountry tours in Falls Creek. So obviously he can't run those anymore and um, they're still going. Uh, his daughter Layla is keeping them going. Falls Creek, uh, Tom Costa, long, you know, well-known Falls Creek local, will be um, taking the tours there this year with Layla. And, yeah, yeah, Steve, you know, he's got the Steve Lee. There's a fundraising campaign that his family and friends have organised, the Steve Lee Fight Back because it's a, a long road and, God, you know, rehab and occupational therapy and, you know, just wheelchairs and access and all that sort of stuff because he still needs 24-7 care. So that, that fundraising yeah. campaign is run through that. And, yeah, it's been, um, you know, yeah, they're, they're doing quite, had a lot of support from a, 
a lot of people throughout the Australian sport and uh, media industry. And yeah, it's just a, a long process for Stevie, but he's um, he's pretty good. Like he t- tells me, he wants to be on snow this year at some stage. Um, okay. Uh, maybe in a sit ski. The problem is like not having um, use of his left arm. It sort of because otherwise he reckons he'd go one ski in outriggers, but with just oh, one wow. arm, go around in circles. He told me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course he would. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he. Um, you know, like World Cup champion, three Olympics, top 15 in the world, downhill for a number of years. So that sort of mental strength to do that is what he's applying to now. But, um, yeah, he's pretty positive and, yeah, we'll just hope to see, see yeah. how it pans out. Good to hear. I mean, you have to be that positive, don't you? And that that is a test of a human when you can come back after such a stroke and, yeah, and it's good to see that the ski community and snow community help him or assisting and, you know, he's appreciated. That's what it's like. That's mountain life, isn't it? That's why we all live it and love it and kind yeah. of, yeah, love exactly it. Exactly. Like, yeah, the snow community is right behind me. Yeah, and it, it is a, you know, it's a pretty close-knit community. So, yeah, no, it's great. And, um, yes, it's all about loving the snow life. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Thanks for that. Love it. But we'll certainly sp- spread the news on how to help Steve and get it out there and hopefully he's back on snow in a sit ski. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're amazing within the industry. Thanks for holding it together in Australia. Because anyone has to do it. Well, you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've given us what the mountain watch and then chill factor. It's amazing. It's keeping yeah. the communication. Well, it is holding it together in that way. That's right. And we're yeah. we're looking forward to hearing absolutely honest reporting and how bollocks it is if it's bollocks. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you'll hear it. My first one's next Friday, so yeah, away we go. There Perfect. we go. Thank you. Thanks. All right, for no worries. Thanks for having me. See you guys later. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.